Now, hear the good news and be not afraid. Good morning. Welcome to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. Father PJ, good morning. Good morning, Father. Let us begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who through your word reconciled the human race to yourself in a wonderful way, grant, we pray, that with prompt devotion and eager faith, the Christian people may hasten toward the solemn celebrations, celebrations to come. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today is the halfway mark of the Sunday Lent. The Sunday is known as Laetare Sunday for the first word of the introit or entrance antiphon, Laetare. Rejoice. Right. So the twice during the year... The church during her preparation seasons gives us a, a, a little bit of a pausa or a break um, in order to mark um, sort of halfway home. Uh, you know, like we, we, we've got less trouble ahead of us than we have behind us kind of thing. Um, and, and we mark that specifically with the use of rose or pink vestments. Correct. Um, th- so, 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 that, so that you take the sort of the somberness or so the sobriety of, uh, 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 of, the, of the violet and explode it with a little bit of color. Um, and and this is important um, because the 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 both Sundays uh, Laetare and Gaudete are taken from the first word of the antiphon. That's the the that's the ancient hymn that would have been sung for the opening hymn. A lot of our places do other things, but that's where it's coming from. Um, and they both mean so 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 Gaudete and Advent very like clearly means rejoice. Um, Laetare means um, to praise. But it's uh, but it, 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 it's it, it, it's in the context of the psalm, praise you the Lord Jerusalem, and it's and it's a kind of vision of the Savior coming to the city, because now we're closing in very deliberately on Christ's descent into the holy city. It's important to clarify that the color is not an accident for the church. Ours also the color shows us the degree of the color in preparation for the huge and manifest illumination for the church for the new colors in terms of faith, Easter season that we expect. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that, so that what you've got is, is something like, um, think like, think like the, the, the spectrum, the color spectrum, right? That the, 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 the colors get brighter or darker depending on which side of the spectrum that you're on. Well, the colors of the liturgical year are meant to do the same kind of thing for us. Now there's a way in which, I'll be honest, sometimes I get a little bit nervous when people try to do the explanation of liturgical colors because we can make this sound much more fixed than it really is. Correct. There, there are genuinely regional and sort of ritual variations in this stuff that are like, this is not a ditch worth dying in. Mm-hmm. It's just explaining how different colors work in different contexts in the same way that you would, you know, um, black would be an inappropriate color for funerals in some places, but a totally appropriate color in other places, Absolutely. that kind of thing. Um, it's also important to know that um, these weren't fixed until pretty late. So the color scheme that we've got now really is, is a product of kind of the reformation and the period immediately passed. So a lot of these things, uh, some things came in very early, but others, others didn't. What, what was more significant was sort of the tone of the liturgy itself and the tone shifts on these Sundays because it's pointing us to something. And, uh, and, and the lessons of the day really indicate that as well. It's an, uh, very interesting, especially for this part of the liturgy as well, that is not changing the liturgy itself, only the color change. 
because we continue with the Lint format. Uh, yeah, you still, don't, you still don't have an Alleluias. You still don't have a Gloria. That's on purpose, right? Um, uh, you, you, uh, you still... Uh, you, you might have a little decoration, but you shouldn't go all out. This isn't like a pre-Easter. That's not the idea. It's, it's, it's more like a, you know, when you're on a long road trip with kids and you, and you make a stop, not just to go to the bathroom, but get something to eat. It's that kind of a break, right? Um, and, and I think it's useful for us because when we're doing something hard like Lens, we do need to, to, to pause and kind of remind ourselves, it's okay, we can do this. At this point, some people are still asking, what is the best manner to fasting? Fasting. And when we're talking fasting, it's obviously not to avoid food completely, especially in this current time, but at least what kind of fasting we can recommend to our audience, not only in terms of food, also in a spiritual fasting as well. I think there's two important notes here. Uh, the, the, the caveat, of course, always being do what makes sense for your own health. Don't make yourself pass out if that kind of thing. Absolutely. Right? But beyond that... Um, the church has always viewed Lent in a kind of progressive way. So it's meant to get sort of harder as time goes on. Uh, in previous times, we actually had like a pre-Lent season called Jesimatide, which was intended to do that deliberately. So very slowly, you'd start withdrawing meat and cheese and dairy and eggs. Like it would get, you, you'd kind of amp up to, 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 to what you were going to do. The idea being that you want Holy Week to be the most significant period of the fast and the triduum itself up until the vigil to uh, the, the, the church has this even written to canon law, right? Um, the, the, the Paschal fast, that is the fast from the end of the Lord's supper on Thursday until after the vigil on Saturday is the most solemn fast of the year. And, wow. and, and that if we're able, we should be eating as little as we can to keep ourselves going um, and, and really make that punch. Well, if that's the goal for that, that two and a half day period or whatever, how do you work yourself up to it? So kind of work backwards from that with the question of Sundays in general and this Sunday specifically, it's true that Sundays aren't days of fast in the same way that the rest of the season is, but most people find it rather difficult to keep a discipline that you're interrupting every few days. So it's like, I don't think it's a great idea. If your kid's given up candy for Lent, don't let them have it on Sunday. I don't think that's smart. Um, maybe, maybe on St. Joseph's day or the Annunciation, cause those are real proper uh, festival days, but don't, don't have them. If, if they're going to have candy every six days anyway, then it's not going to matter very much when they get it on Easter Sunday. Um, it's also, as we get older, it's just harder to keep the discipline up. If you start giving up then you just, you quit. Right. So, but giving yourself some kind of a break. So if you're getting progressively stricter as the season goes on, then you might withdraw a little bit on Sunday. So, um, so maybe, maybe you let yourself have dessert and you don't the whole rest of the time, or maybe, uh, you know, if you've gone, um, if you've gone meatless for all of Lent, um, maybe you have fried fish instead of baked fish or so, so, so you mark it, but in little ways, in subtle ways, not kind of whole hog because otherwise it's going to be hard to keep the discipline. Iowa Catholic Radio, be not afraid. There's a certain kind of prayer people are often afraid to say those really honest prayers. The prayer of St. Augustine when he prayed, Lord, help me be pure, but not yet. The prayer of Job when he was complaining, God, why did this happen to me? The prayer of Mary when Lazarus died. If you had been here, Lord, my brother wouldn't have died. Where were you? The prayers I find myself saying sometimes in difficult moments in life when I'm at the end of my rope. Lord, I can't do this. You gotta kick in here. I think people refrain from those prayers because we think they're unholy or maybe God can't take it. 
Or maybe we think we're faking him out by pretending we have it all together and everything's great and we're as pious as can be. Listen, be honest with God. You can't hide yourself from him. He wants honest prayers because he doesn't just want your words. He wants your heart. And when you pray with all your heart, the answer you might get might not be a change in your circumstances, but I guarantee you, it'll change you. This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com. Welcome back to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. So we have an, a great saint, San Cyril of Jerusalem, bishop and confessor. Um, was banished from his see on three occasions with St. Athanasius and others. He belongs to the great champions of faith in the fight against Arianism. This kind of uh, saint has been not an easy life, you know, in terms to defend our faith. So bishops in, uh, in former times um, often had very, very hard lives. You know, they say, um, so Cyril's born in 315 or thereabouts. He's kind of the first generation of bishops after the Council of Nicaea. But they say that at the Council of Nicaea, for the opening mass, um, the bishops were almost all men that had been tortured for the faith. So they came in being carried in on litters or limping because their feet had been maimed or missing hands or fingers or arms or blinded or unable to speak because their tongues had been cut out. So it was kind of a, it was a mess. Like they were, they were, these were not attractive looking people as they came in. And those are the men that wrote the creed. And in some ways they wrote the creed in their own blood, the the blood, which they'd suffered by torture and which they, their brethren had, had given their lives with. So, so, so Cyril's kind of the, the first generation after that, um, but it still was not great, which is why he was banished from Jerusalem several times and, and, and had a very contentious uh, sort of relationship with the Arians. But Cyril's important this time of year because the period immediately following Easter um, is known as mystagogy. This is a the period, especially for the catechumens and those that have been received into the church, to explore the meaning of the mysteries, that is the sacraments, that they've received at Easter. And St. Cyril is probably the greatest, at least one of the greatest, of the great mystagogues, or teachers of the mysteries from the early church. So in the office that the priests and religious will read, um, St. Cyril's writings come up, especially that first week after Easter, like it's almost all from him. And it's because he's, he's preaching, there, there are sermons from the 300s mm-hmm. that he gave to people that he had baptized earlier that week. And we have very, very good records about when and where he delivered these and how he prepared the people. Um, you know, the way we do RCIA now is kind of backwards from the way the early church did it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, we'll have a Sunday. We talk about baptism as a Sunday. We talk about confession and a Sunday. We talk about, yeah, that's not how this would have worked in the early church. The mystery part of it was really kept till after the celebration. So, so it was after the baptism, the, 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 the bishop would say, now you remember how you were taken down into the water. Well, this is just like Jesus being taken down into the earth. And, and this is a sort of memory of Jonah being three days in the belly of the whale. And he'd break it open that way. So it was sort of like doing and then learning as opposed to learning and then doing. Um, but he remains an important figure for us for the very same reasons. It's a uh, very interesting how sacrifice in this context means to love at the same time. Mm-hmm. We can we cannot understand these martyrs of the Holy Mother, the Church, without love. Without love, it's more than than the simplistic that uh, are like uh, 
masochisms or things like that. It's far away from that kind of concept. Is that real sacrifice by love to Jesus, love to our faith? Let me let me just offer our listeners just just a, a snippet of what this could sound like, right? So, so put yourself in the in the fourth century in a in a dark church in Jerusalem. First, you entered into the vestibule of the baptistry, and there, facing towards the west, you listened to the command to stretch forth your hand, and in the presence of Satan, you renounced him. Now you must know that this figure is found in ancient history, for when Pharaoh, that most bitter and cruel tyrant, was oppressing the free and highborn people of the Hebrews, God sent Moses to bring them out of the evil bondage with the Egyptians. Then the doorposts were anointed with the blood of the lamb, that the destroyer might flee from the houses which had been delivered by blood, and the Hebrew people came forth delivered. So then what happens, right, is the, is, is, is the people would face west. This is still the case in the Eastern churches. So, so you know how like we greet people at the door for baptism. Well, you'd actually have them face outside. And, and the first part of the baptismal promises, do you renounce Satan? I do. And all his works, I do. And all his empty promises, I do. You would face the door. You would face outside. Say, do you renounce Satan? I do. And you would spit in the wind. Wow. And all his works, I do. And all his empty promises. And then you would turn around and face east, the direction of God. Uh-huh. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Wow. And so, and so you see how sort of dramatically um, not being told, all right, you're going to do this and then you're going to do that. And the reason you're doing this is because of that and this and the other. No, no, no. You do it, and then afterwards, do you realize what you've done? You've been set free. You, you spat in Satan's face, and now you belong to Jesus, right? Um, the, the, the doorposts marked with the, the blood of the lamb, right? This is like the bodies of those to be baptized being anointed with the oil. They're being set apart so that the avenging angel passes over, and, 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 and the angel of grace wells up from within. Um, you went down into the waters and so went down into the tomb. You came up out of the waters. And just as Jesus, when he came up out of the waters, was anointed by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. So we anoint you now with oil. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. You're being anointed with oil and so claimed as Christ. It's why we call them christenings, because in baptism we're made into little Christ. It's uh, no words to describe that majestic Expression of love from God, especially when we are with him, through him, and in him. Mm. And unfortunately, uh, many of our uh, brothers and sisters that did not are close to God, to the church, missing this amazing part about the sacraments. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a great insight here he, he has. He says, uh, moreover, the things hung up at idol festivals, either meat or bread or other such things polluted by the invocation of the unclean spirits, are reckoned in the pomp of the devil. For just as the bread and the wine of the Eucharist before the invocation of the Spirit are simple bread and wine, whereas after they become the body and blood of Christ, so also, right? So he's making this, this, this association. Christians would never touch food that had been sacrificed to, a, to another god, and that's on purpose, right? For the same reason that, 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 that our food really is changed. So he's drawing on their own experience to show them, uh, no, like, you're not the same anymore. And the things of you aren't the same anymore. Even the food and drink in your house aren't the same anymore. And you yourself are, are of him. Iowa Catholic Radio.
Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by Knights of Columbus, Borman, Pfeiffer Agencies, serving Catholic families in Iowa, offering life insurance, long-term care insurance, disability insurance, and retirement annuities. The Knights of Columbus is a fraternal benefit society able to provide financial security to members and their families. Learn how Knights of Columbus agent Justin Wadley can help. 563-689-6801, or kfc.org. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio was provided by Bows and the Florist. Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, weddings, whatever the message, say more with Bozen. Bozen.com, 515-244-ROSE. Bozen makes the moment mean more. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio comes from the Ball Team, providing construction services for commercial, industrial, medical, and education projects. Ball Team can assist with pre-construction, site selection, design build, project management supervision. Buildwithball.com. Welcome back, Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. In the same context, we have for this third Fourth Sunday of Ordinary Time, this beautiful piece of the gospel in this time, the gospel of John, chapter 9, 41 to 41. So, so uh, uh, again, these gospels are very long, and so um, so we're, 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 we're going to kind of compress here, but um, this is the story of the man born blind, right? And it's, and it's the complicated one where, the, you know, was it this man's sin or his parents that he would be born blind? Uh, Jesus says it was to show the glory of God. He heals the man, tells him to go and show himself. They uh, reject him. Um, uh, who, 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 who opened your eyes? I do not know who opened my eyes. He couldn't know who opened his eyes because he was blind, right? Um, and then they throw him out of the synagogue. Um, and so then when we, we pick it up here, when Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he found him and said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered and said, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. The one speaking with you is he. He said, I do believe Lord and worshiped him. Then Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see might see and those who do see might become blind. Wow. That first question is very <laughs> firm. Do you believe in the son of man? Jesus doesn't pull any punches, right? Like he's, he's, he's being just real clear and distinct here. Do you actually buy this or do you not? And of course, this man has just experienced this remarkable healing. It's very, very important here. Very, very important in a way that I think we might not catch so easily. Jesus is not here healing a man who once sighted became blind. He's healing a man who never could see. He's creating a new capacity. The man never saw anything before, and now he can see everything. It's a little bit like most of us have probably seen videos at this stage of the children who get the cochlear implants. Correct. Who are able to hear. Yeah. And and typically the first thing they hear is their mother's voice, right? So they've never heard anything before, and suddenly they can hear their mother's voice. That that's, That's the kind of thing that's going on here. And the reason that's important, right? is because Jesus is asserting divine authority. Jesus is doing the kind of thing only God can do. A human healer, a competent physician, Uh might be able to help restore sight to an eye that had been injured, right? But only God can make a thing see that doesn't have the ability to see. Only God can create new capacities in us. And that's what he does with this man. 
And at the same time, the response for these men is very interesting because represent many of us, you know. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Who is he? Who is Jesus? Yeah. So, so Jesus fulfills sort of the question, right? He is the son of man, the one who is seen and believed in. And it's not an accident. Jesus says that you have seen him because this happens to us all the time. We see, but we do not understand. Right. Like we, we, right, have, right. We, we have sight, like we capture, the, yeah. we capture the vision, but we don't understand what's going on. Right. This poor man is in exactly the same spot. He now can see, but he can't understand what's happening to him. And what's happening to him is not simply the healing of his eyes. It's the revelation of reality. He's learning who really is in charge of everything. It's another dimension about conversion, you know? Came from darkness, everything is darkness, and now go to see the light of life mm. in the person of Jesus Christ himself, obviously. So the, 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 the preface, right, says this, by the mystery of the incarnation, he has led the human race that walked in darkness into the radiance of faith and has brought those born in slavery to the ancient sin through the waters of regeneration to make them his adopted children. So faith is here uh, aligned with sight, blindness with sin. So sin blinds us, faith enlightens us. Sin gets in our way. Faith opens the way, right? Um, and so, and, and so this, this is what is manifested in the story of the man born blind. This is what we anticipate for those about to be baptized. And this is what should be working out every day in the life of grace and sacrament of every Christian. How many occasions we are in completely blind spiritual moments in our life that we are looking for the certain light of Christ, you know? You know, I... I certainly find as I get older, both for myself and the people that I, I work with, I don't, I don't think most people are often real confused about what's right and wrong. I think what people get confused by and where they get enlightened is I do something that I think is a little bit wrong, but I, I'm, I'm okay to tolerate it if it's just a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it's only later when I can see the consequences of my actions that I realize how profoundly wrong this was. I recently had a, a, a couple come to me who had uh, conceived their, their 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 child through in vitro fertilization, and uh, and you know the the and they and they had now realized this was a problem. They of course loved their child as well they should, um, but they said you know before we just thought that what was wrong about this was like the manner of the conception because it had to happen physically outside the act of marriage. But um, but they but then they recognized how many embryos had been created and discarded in order to make this happen. Mm -hmm. and, and, and when they saw the number, well, the volume is what struck them. Wow. Sometimes it's volume that strikes us. Sometimes it's intensity. Sometimes it's the pain or grief that we've caused to another. Sometimes it's the consequences in our own lives that we regret. But 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 I think those are the moments where God really gives us a grace. It's a it's a harsh grace. It's a difficult, uh, caustic grace, but an important one because it ultimately is equipped to save our souls. Wow. The story of the man born blind then should be a kind of a, 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 a game plan for the rest of Lent for us. We should pay attention to the scales that are covering our eyes, or we should look to those capacities that we don't yet possess, that we, that we know need fixed. And that's where we should be inviting God's grace in to heal us and to change us and sustain us so that we can be more and better than we've ever been before. 
So soon we'll be enjoying that moment of the Easter vigil when when the Paschal candle entrance completely in darkness. Right. Completely in darkness. And it's very eloquent how the light of Jesus Christ, not only exteriorly or physically, also interiorly and spiritually, cause an amazing effect in our lives. That's exactly right. And then, of course, what happens is we who have received the light, we're the ones who are ready then in the end to go out and meet him with our candles still born bright. Approaching our ending program, Father, could you please send us with your blessing? May the passion of the Lord Jesus and the merits and the prayers of the Blessed Virgin, the man born blind and all the saints, grant that whatever good you do or suffering you endure, heal you all your sins, help you grow in holiness, bring you to everlasting life, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Iowa Catholic Radio, Be Not Afraid. Be Not Afraid. Jesus is on the way to encounter you. Go forward and be not afraid. <laughs>